keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Good morning, Catholic Drive Timers. This is Brent Haynes. Substituting for Adrian Fonseca this morning, who's out doing the Catholic thing. I'm here as your morning substitute host with Rudy the Newsman Garcia. Garcia. Rudy the Newsman <laughs> Carlos. I'm already thinking oh, sports, Rudy. Wow. I'm already thinking about sports, Rudy. <laughs> here we are to keep you here we are keeping you informed and inspired. We have a good show for you today. We are going to be discussing the new Speaker of the House. As you might have heard last week, the United States House of Representatives got a new Speaker after about two weeks of disagreement among the majority party. Uh, There's a lot of good news there. We're going to be talking about that. In the next half hour, we're going to be talking with the leader of one of the largest pro-life organizations in Texas. We're going to be taking a different view, though. We're going to be talking about what actually goes on behind the scenes and what is their day-to-day work like. You know, a lot of us give them time. A lot of us give them money give them time as volunteers, but those who are working professionally, what do they do with their time and what do they do with their money and what are all the different organizations like? But let's begin with prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your almighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now for the news. Thank you, Brent. Now, good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here's a sampling of your breaking news and headlines today. You remember the uh, shooting that took place in Maine? Well, the shooting suspect was found dead of self-inflicted gunshot wounds, or rather just one. Robert Card, the shooting suspect in Wednesday's attacks that left 18 dead in Lewiston, Maine, was found dead of a reported self-inflicted gunshot wound on Friday night. He was found in the same clothing he was pictured with, uh, wearing in the photographs the police released on Wednesday night. Many in Maine are breathing a sigh of relief, but two questions remain. Number one, how did Card's mental health evaluation at the West Point Hospital in mid-July of 2023 not reach the level of an involuntary commitment? And number two, Did somebody drop the ball in reporting an involuntary commitment to the National Instant Criminal Background Check System to prevent the passage of a background check? Those are two important questions to ask. Moving on to world news, desperate Gazans raid UN food warehouses as Norway and France condemned disproportionate Israeli attacks. After a three-week siege and bombing campaign in Gaza with the widespread suffering and desperation, the UN has sounded an alarm over potential breakdown in civic order. According to the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, thousands of Palestinians have reported, rather resorted, to breaking into their warehouses to obtain essential supplies such as wheat, flour, and hygiene items. Meanwhile, the intensifying crisis for Palestinian uh, civilians has not only led to massive street protests in various nations, particularly in Europe, but has resulted in rare criticism aimed at Israel from leading Western nations. Norway has condemned what it sees as a massive and disproportionate response to the death toll among Palestinians in the wake of the October 7 Hamas terror attack, which killed 1,400 people. International law, this is a quote, international law stipulates 
that the reaction must be proportionate. The civilians must be taken into account and that humanitarian law is very clear on this. I think this limit has been largely exceeded, said Prime Minister Jonas Gar Store in an interview. Even the White House has begun to urge caution with National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan saying they're putting rockets and other terrorist infrastructure in civilian areas. That creates an added burden for the Israeli Defense Forces, he said. But it does not lessen their responsibility to distinguish between terrorists and innocent civilians and to protect the lives of innocent civilians as they conduct this military operation, unquote. Now, if you're like me, you're also wondering, why is it that Halloween candy is so expensive these days? I almost wanted to give away candy this year, but I decided not to. This headline is Pricey Treats. Halloween candy inflation hits double digits for the second year in a row. U.S. candy prices surged 13% in October compared to that of last year, marking a second consecutive year of double-digit inflation in the industry. The increase is more than double the 6% rise in the overall grocery prices and follows a 14% hike in candy prices since last October. Increased costs of labor, packaging, and other ingredients also contribute to the ballooning candy prices as reflected in the pricing strategies of companies like Hershey Company and discount grocery chains. But I have a solution for you. Offset the cost of the candy by including Saints cards. And you're going to be saving money and maybe even saving souls. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Now, Brent, who's the saint of the day today? Rudy, the saint is St. Marcellus the Centurion, a martyr from 298. So this was back from the days of the Roman Empire. In 298, the empire was celebrating the birthday of Emperor Maximian Herculeus. And they were doing this with extraordinary feasting and solemnity. There were pompous sacrifices to the Roman gods, which were a big part of the solemnity and the celebrations. But Marcellus, who was a centurion, which would have been a captain, a commander of a legion, uh, was a Christian. He was posted in Spain. He decided not to defile himself with taking part in these impious abominations. He cast away his military belt at the head of his company, declaring aloud that he was a soldier of Jesus Christ, the eternal king. He also threw down his arms and the vine branch, which was the mark of his post of centurion. For the Roman officers were forbidden to strike a soldier with any instrument except a vine branch, which the centurions usually carried in their lands. The soldiers informed Anastasius Fortunatus, the prefect of the legion, by whose order Marcellus was committed to prison. When the festival was over, this judge ordered Marcellus to be brought before him and asked him what he meant by his late proceedings. Marcellus said, when you celebrated the emperor's festival on the 12th before the Calends of August, that was the day in which Maximian had been declared Caesar, I said aloud that I was a Christian and could serve no other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Fortunatus told him that it was not in his power to connive at his rashness and that he was obliged to lay his case before the emperor himself and Constantius Caesar. Marcellus was sent under a strong guard to Aurelian Agricolus, vicar of the prefect of the Praetorium, who was then in Africa. Agricolaus asked him whether he had really done as the judge's letter set forth. And upon his confessing the fact, the vicar passed sentence of death upon him for desertion and impiety, as he called it his action. St. Marcellus was fourth with led to execution and beheaded on the 30th of October. His relics were afterwards translated from Tangier to Lyon in Spain and are kept 
in a rich shrine in the chief parish church of that city, of which he is the titular saint. St. Marcellus, pray for us. Wow, Brent. (laughs) If you found yourself in that situation, would you do the same? I think now I don't want to be the guy who's like blowing the trumpet and saying, hey, guys, you know, it's end times. You know, we're going to be persecuted. I don't know. We, We are seeing persecutions all over the world. But not yet in the United States to like this extreme degree where you're putting being put to death. But if you're in that situation, could you do that? Would you do it? Well, I think all of us certainly hope that we would do that. Yeah, that God would give us the grace. The, um, you know, in a way, if it's if it is a quick act, you know, a a merciful execution over pretty quickly. (laughs) But think of all of the. just the prejudices and discriminations that Christians face in Western society and in the United States, of course, in particular. Um, think about the people who lose their job because they, um, they don't want to endorse a particular woke policy or mm-hmm. their company wants to force them to do something such as um, you know, use uh, someone's preferred pronouns. You know, think of the pharmacist who goes to school for years and years to get a pharmacy license, becomes a pharmacist. They have a job. They're paying for their family. They have all their benefits. And then they uh, are they're told you will prescribe an abortifacient drug. So there are a lot of ways in which people are facing what we now call the white martyrdom. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Let's uh, move on to the gospel today. There's so much that we can talk about in this gospel. The gospel is from Luke Uh, Chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. And here we see that Christ chose this time and this place for the following miracle, that it might be public and that he might confute and instruct the Pharisees when speaking against it on account of the Sabbath. And behold, there was this woman with the spirit of infirmity, that is, the infirmity that was sent by the evil one, thus says Delira, with whom was the spirit of infirmity for 18 years, and she was bowed together and was not able to stand up by any means. This infirmity was a curving and bending of the whole body so that the woman was compelled always to walk bent and stooping. Observe, that diseases are often sent by the devils through the permission of God for sins or for many other reasons, okay? But I want you, and this is a perfect opportunity, dear listener, to put ourselves in this situation. Let's uh, take the Ignatian spirituality and just put ourselves in the synagogue there and just imagine this poor woman for 18 years stooping low to the ground. The uh, This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, thus the devil afflicted Job with various diseases. And the same is seen in Psalm 78, verse 49, as well as Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. The devil, therefore, made this woman crooked and bent to compel her always to look down upon the earth. For 18 years, it was therefore an invertebrate and incurable disease, as such could not be healed even by the most skilled physicians. There's something to be seen here in this woman. And I think this is something that is afflicting so many of us in our spiritual life. For so many of us, we are bent down and stooping low, looking only into the ground, looking only into the things of the world. 
there's something that we can learn from this woman. Looking towards the ground, crooked with her head and bent backwards, uh, bent downwards, she wasn't even able, like a beast, to look up at the sun and the heavens, but she was always to look down at the rocks and the earth, for at creation, God made it so that man might look up at the sun and the heavens and by a heavenly life journey towards God on high and to be received into heaven and there enjoy the blessedness of this divine vision so that they should seek heavenly things and rise above those things of the earth. The devil then, to turn men from heaven, makes them look downwards so that they see and love and pursue only earthly things. Here we have what we have to take away from this. Are we only focusing on those earthly things? Have we given ourselves enough time to look up into heaven and ponder that we are made in the image and likeness of God, that we are meant for something greater than this? And he lays his hands upon her, the hands that signify the power of Christ, his authority, his rule over diseases and the devils, and equally his loving kindness and beneficence, by which he conferred the benefit of healing upon the woman through the beneficence of his touch. And what do we see here if we're still imagining ourselves in an Ignatian way in the synagogue? What's the logical response to seeing this woman be healed by our Lord Jesus Christ? Should we not be leaping for joy? But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Indignation because he envied Jesus and the glory of a miracle by which he had shown himself. Therefore, the whole synagogue and the people to be greater uh, therefore, before the whole synagogue and the people to be greater than the ruler, that's to say he's better than this ruler of the temple, this man made religion and zeal for the observance of the Sabbath the cloak of his feeling. When the ruler of this ungrateful synagogue saw the woman made suddenly erect by a mere touch and celebrating the great acts of love, he sullied his zeal for the glory of God with envy. Christ rightfully calls him a hypocrite. Because he had the face of one who observed the law carefully, but the mind of cunning and envy, he was not disturbed for the Sabbath and its violation. But because Christ, because he obtained glory. I think we can also learn from this that we go to Mass sometimes and we do it just for the routine. Do we do it because we love Christ? Do we do these things because we love Christ? Are we finding ourselves like this woman for 18 years, looking down to the ground? Today, take a moment and look at this woman. Compare her affliction in body and soul to your spiritual life. If you're swept away with the cares of the world, you can't contemplate the heavenly and eternity. Take that away today. We'll be right back on Catholic Drive Time. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed what happens when people set out to destroy the church? They don't destroy the church, but they manage to wreck everything else. G.K. Chesterton says men who begin to fight the church for the sake of freedom and humanity end up flinging away freedom and humanity if only they may fight the church. The secularists have not managed to destroy divine things, but they have destroyed secular things. Thanks to the war against the church, the world is a mess. We have more disorder, more distress, more discontent than ever before. And that's why we must defend the faith. By defending God's truth, we are defending all truth. 
By defending the church, we are saving the world. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is Brent Haynes substituting for Adrian Fonseca in with Rudy Carlos, keeping you inspired and informed. Rudy, did you keep up with the news? We have a new Speaker of the House. Yes. Yeah, they asked in McCarthy. Uh, you know, I had no idea that he was, uh, he was doing poorly. And I, I don't really know the background all that much, but I'm so thankful that you're here filling in for Adrian because I know you're, you're really in tune with what's going on in these offices. But um, he, McCarthy was ousted. Then they went into a session looking for votes and all kinds of different people came up, including uh, <laughs> the former president, Donald Trump, who said he would volunteer to step in for a while. But tell us a little bit about the, uh, the background of McCarthy getting uh, fired, essentially, and, uh, and opening up the door for, for this new Speaker of the House. And that's a whole conversation itself that could take up the entire program and more. Really? But in short, uh, the there's a very small number of conservative congressmen who demanded certain agreements or concessions in order for McCarthy to get their vote to become speaker. And remember, the Republicans have an extremely narrow majority in the House of Representatives. So the to be elected speaker, the Republican candidate – can only lose four or five votes depending on exactly who's present and who's voting because there are 435 members of Congress. There's always somebody out because of sickness or some other vacancy or something like that. But one of the concessions that Kevin McCarthy made was he agreed to allow a single member of the House of Representatives to bring a vote to vacate the Speaker of the House position. And then uh, Matt Gates made that made that decision and – that triggered the vote, and sure enough, uh, McCarthy, you know, lost that. It was essentially an American version of a vote of no confidence, which we see sometimes in parliaments around the world. That's how they often change their their governing majority in their in their legislative bodies. So, after about two weeks of going back and forth, and other candidates not being able to get a majority, uh, Mike Johnson, who is from Louisiana, uh, came in, and he is the new Speaker of the House. Hmm. Rudy. Uh, he is the most overtly Christian, over, you know, conservative, but most overtly Christian speaker we have had in my lifetime, certainly. Wow. Um, I know. I, I remember, you know, I interned on Capitol Hill, and I remember being there, you know, when George Washington sent his messages. No, I, <laughs> I'm not that old. But Mike Johnson is, is uh, unabashedly open about his Christian principles, and he has put them into practice. He is not a pretender. We know that a lot of you know, people get into politics. They will posture. They'll pay lip service to certain ideals, or they'll be committed to the ideals, but not as strongly as you might be committed to them. But Mike Johnson is undeniably uh, motivated by his Christian beliefs. Um, in an interview recently, someone asked him about you know, what he stood for, and, and he, you know what he said? 
He said, well, you can just take the Bible off your shelf. I think he's being a little hopeful there, saying assuming mm-hmm. people have a Bible these days. But he said, you can just take your, your Bible off your shelf. I mean, he referred people to the Bible. Um, how's this, Rudy? He gave a 15-minute speech when he took the position of speaker, and he quoted G.K. Chesterton. Hmm. How many speakers of the House do you think quote G.K. Chesterton? St. Chesterton. Pray for us. And he quoted Ronald Reagan, of course. He articulated uh, core principles of conservatism that, you know, only 25 or 40 years ago were pretty standard in this country and certainly standard in the Republican Party. Individual responsibility, uh, belief in the family, belief that marriage is between one man and one woman, uh, belief that the government ought to balance its budget the way you and your family balance your budget. That's an important one. Uh, so, But you, it, know, you know what, Brent? I, it, that, that begs a question, right? So in these, uh, in these uh, government offices, especially with the, uh, the Supreme Court, for example, you see a lot of criticism. They say, you know, these Supreme Court justices, they are clearly un- – they're, they're biased in a way because, you know, let's say Amy Coney Barrett is Catholic and so is a few other ones. And they'll say, well, they're clearly biased. They, they have no, no place being there. This is, this is like the typical leftist critique of this, right? And I'm curious because in that situation and even in the Speaker of the House situation, I imagine it's pretty hard for you to exercise uh, you know, your Christian beliefs in an overt kind of way. So how do you anticipate his awesome record to be at play in the near future? Well, he addressed that really uh, when he was asked about what his priorities were, you know, what bills he would be moving because the speaker determines which bills come up for a vote in the House. That's one of the reasons it's one of the most powerful positions in government. And, you know, he's, you know, he's made clear that uh, he is about the business of government. Congressmen are sent to Congress to run the government. And he is not going to take his position as Speaker of the House and try to become a cheerleader or a social justice warrior for conservative social justice for conservative social principles. That doesn't mean he's abandoning those principles. I think what that means is that we can expect that he will come at the work of government from the point of view of a Christian. And he sounds evangelical. I don't I don't believe he's Catholic. I haven't seen any references to that. When he gave his talk, his, his language sounded sort of uh, evangelical or, or, if anything, perhaps charismatic Catholic. <laughs> uh, but uh, you ask a good question. I talk to uh, you know friends of mine in the conservative movement sometimes, and they get frustrated that the government isn't doing this and the, or the government isn't doing that. And often it's on a, an issue that you and I would agree with them on, you know, some sort of conservative social issue. And it's – you know, it's important to remind people sometimes that, you know, guess what? Social conservatives do not have a majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, social conservatives certainly do not have a majority in the United States Senate. And we don't even want to talk about the White House. OK, <laughs> so, um, you know, you send uh, congressmen go to represent their constituents. They go to to speak their voice and to shape policy. And the good thing is. By having, by having a committed conservative and especially a committed Christian conservative as Speaker of the House because he sounds principled, um, the good thing is that you know, Christian, a Christian approach or, or, or Christian ideas or sensibilities aren't going to be an afterthought with him. Now, I assure you, 
somebody who's conservative is going to criticize him about something. That's the nature of politics. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to remind people, if you want to find the best politician, the only one that's going to really meet all your standards is the one you see in the mirror every morning. Hmm. But how about this, Rudy? You've heard the phrase, known by your enemies. You are known by your enemies. So Mike Johnson has already been called an election denier. (laughs) One of the first, you know, stories that came out about him because he participated in a lawsuit that raised questions about the 2020, you know, certain aspects of the 2020 election. You're just not allowed to do that, Rudy. And remember, in 20, after the 2016 presidential election, one Democrat after another stood up in the United States Congress and moved to not recognize or not certify uh, electors who are going to vote for Donald Trump. Those people are not election deniers, Rudy, just so you know. <laughs> but four years later, with a different political party, those people are. So they're already attacking him because of that. Uh, and how about this? MSNBC, a commentary piece, so uh, not, not necessarily straight news, but a lot of times people don't distinguish. And MSNBC is very liberal. But one of their writers came out and called him, said that Representative Mike Johnson, the newly elected Speaker of the House, is the most unabashedly Christian nationalist speaker in history, end hmm. quote. That ran under the headline, the new uh, Mike Johnson's Christian nationalist track record isn't a mystery, it's a tragedy. <laughs> and they weren't done there. The, you know, the subheadline was the new speaker cut his teeth trying to erode the separation of church and state and abortion and LGBTQ rights as a lawyer for the Alliance Defense Fund. Hmm. Now, full disclosure, Rudy, I, I'm affiliated with the Alliance. It's now called the Alliance. It's now called the Alliance Defending Freedom. Full disclosure, I'm affiliated with them also. And what that really is, they have full-time professional lawyers uh, in offices around the country. But mostly they are a network of of conservative lawyers or lawyers who agree to donate time to defend religious liberty, essentially. Um, They defend homeschool parents who are being harassed by bureaucracies and education departments. If a child takes a Bible to school to read during free time and the teacher, because these are real cases, you understand, the teacher tells them, hey, you know, you can't bring that Bible to school, separation of church and state. The Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys are there to protect that child and their family. Does that really happen? That's absurd. It happens all the time. Rudy. Wow. It, 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 happen, it happens all the time. Uh, my law firm years ago uh, provided some minor assistance to uh, what is now called First Liberty just down the road from us. Just down, just a few miles down the road from us in the uh, independent school district next door. Unreal. Uh, where a, I believe that case was a grade school student who had brought for Valentine's Day. They exchanged, they, you know, kids would exchange cards in school. I believe that case involved um, a child who brought a card to school that said, um, Jesus loves you or something to that effect. You know, mm-hmm. yes, these things happen all the time. So here's the point, though, for us and for our listeners, keep in mind, people working with the Alliance defending freedom are not posturing. These people are not posing. They're not paying lip service. You know, Mike Johnson is committed. uh, And you can see from these kinds of headlines that he is already uh, coming under severe criticism. They were never going to cut him a break anyway. Um, But we should pray for him. You know, he has his challenges cut out for him. The government budget is uh, the big issue right now. If they don't get the budget passed and Congress has only passed a budget on time, something like four times in the last 40 years. Wow. And, <laughs> you know, they, they have to get a budget through the House. And then, of course, they have to deal with the Senate and they have to deal with the White House. And, of course, anytime the Republicans try to pass something in the House, the White House says, we'll, we'll veto that. 
And then it's the it's the Republicans' fault. You understand mm-hmm. how that works? Sort of like that 2017 versus 2021 election denier claim. <laughs> um, but look, Mike Johnson, uh, so far as we can tell, uh, he's a good conservative. He is a Christian believer. You know, he's articulate. Uh, he obviously has managed to garner the support of the Republican caucus in Congress, and he has a huge job ahead of him. And it, it, we know, as you just said, uh, covering the news and as anybody looking around the world these days, the world's a dangerous place and it's getting more dangerous every day. So we should all pray for him. Yeah, Brian, I think that's a that's a fascinating uh, insight there. You know, the the people that lead our country, they're not so distant from us, right? They're as close as a prayer because if we don't pray for our country, we deserve exactly what we're getting now. If we're not praying the rosary every single day and asking God for peace, for his, 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 his heart to reign in all hearts, I mean, we're going to get exactly the same thing over and over again, right? So I think it's a total win that we have somebody, you know, in, in such a, a position of power that actually believes in, in our Lord. I don't know if he's Catholic or not. He's probably not Catholic, but uh, at least, at the very least, he's Christian. Well, uh, you hit on a good point. You know, the war broke out uh, in Israel. You know, Israel suffered that horrible attack. And, you know, I feel for those people who obviously were killed and especially the ones who've been taken captive and are hostages. And Yeah, not to mention the Palestinians too. Well, and, and the, the Gaza, well, this is, I'm talking about when the war broke out mm, before, Israel, yeah. is, before Israel is, had start, you know, started to react. And, you know, someone like us can feel helpless. But then I remember, just as you said, I can always pray. You know, so, I, so I've added that to my intentions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at 35 past the hour, coming up just after the break, we will hear the news again from Rudy the Newsman, Carlos. And then we will be hearing from Joe Poyman, head of the Texas Alliance for Life. What do all of those pro-life professionals do on a day-to-day basis while you and I are at work? This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most modern philosophies are very dark and depressing? As G.K. Chesterton says, most people in our world today have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. But that's not the way we were meant to be. We were meant to be joyful. Sadness is only an interlude. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. The Christian is able to deny himself immediate pleasures because there's great joy and fulfillment inside him. The pagan must constantly seek after pleasure because there's great sadness and emptiness inside him. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let's share the secret. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. Here's a 
kind of a concerning story. You kind of have to read between the lines here. This is uh, one of those stories that uh, kind of have to pay attention. Mouse embryos have been grown in space for the first time. Japanese scientists have successfully grown mouse embryos on the International Space Station, hinting at the eerie possibility of human reproduction in the depths of space. Using frozen mouse embryos transported aboard a rocket to the ISS in August of 2021, astronauts thawed and nurtured these embryos for four days, revealing that they developed normally into blastocysts, which are crucial for fetal development and placental formation. Remarkably, the experiment indicated that the absence of Earth's gravity had no significant impact on the embryo's development so far. However, it remains to be seen whether the promise of normal birth from space-cultivated embryos will materialize, as the scientists suggest that transplanting these blastocysts into mice to confirm their viability. And how Biden is canceling $48 billion of student loan debts despite Supreme Court loss. Now, here's how here's how it's happening. The Supreme Court blocked President Joe Biden's $430 billion student loan forgiveness plan in June. Despite this, the Biden administration has canceled over $48 billion worth of student debt since the summer and $127 billion worth since taking office, benefiting nearly 3.6 million borrowers. This debt relief leverages existing forgiveness programs, including income-driven repayment, defrauded students, and uh, public sector workers. President Joe Biden has also temporarily expanded these programs to counteract Trump-era limitations, Trump claiming that the credit for blocking uh, Biden's plan criticized it as election-enhancing money grabs. Meanwhile, Biden faces legal challenges to his $39 billion income-driven repayment program and debt cancellation. Now, notably, one of the ways that uh, people have been able to recover from this is, uh, you know, some of these schools, they were promising jobs. And when those schools promised jobs and they weren't able to get them, then a lot of these schools end up going out by the wayside. And so the debt gets canceled out. Interesting story. I wonder how it's going to turn out. It may even kind of benefit me. But then again, I made the choice to go there. Those are all your headlines this morning. Thank you for listening to Catholic Drive Time. Back to you, Brent. We have Joe Poyman with the Texas Alliance for Life. Uh, Joe, thank you for joining us. Good morning, Brent. Glad to be here. Joe, I have donated time over the years uh, to pro-life groups, and, and I have testified before the Texas legislature. That's where you and I have met. And I have you know, know a lot of different groups that are out there. Uh, people who are Catholic are hopefully pro-life. We know the heart of the uh, pro-life movement really uh, began and remains uh, in in the uh, the Catholic Church, really among the grassroots, you know, Catholic activists. But I go to events. I donate my time. I go to events. I was at your event just earlier this month and donated money. And I wonder sometimes um, if a lot of the people out there really appreciate what are what I think of as the professional full-time pro-life activist. What are they doing on a day-to-day basis? You know, you and I joke, um, you're in Texas, Joe, and I look at a map and I see that abortion's illegal in Texas. Um, abortion's illegal, Joe, so um, why haven't you uh, retired? Why aren't you spending your days at the golf course? <laughs> Thank you for coming to our event. Of course, I'm the executive director of Texas Alliance for Life. We're based here in Austin. 
Texas, but I think we're kind of typical of a lot of groups around the country. And of course, you've got a huge listening audience all over the place. Um, so I think what I can talk about is common to what's going on all over the place. But the pro-life movement, Brent, is a movement of people. It's an enormous movement of a grassroots movement of people who who sacrifice their time, their money, their prayers to advance this cause of protecting innocent human life from, from conception to natural death using peaceful legal means. And, you know, it started as a tiny, tiny little, you know, um, like an embryo. We were talking about embryos a moment ago. Um, one cell, just tiny little thing, and it has grown over the last little more than 50 years uh, over to be a very formidable organization in the best sense. Um, um, and just to kind of explain what a pro-life group does, well, what we do, and I think so many other groups do, it's just several things, education, public policy, legal defense, and political action. It's, but it's all about getting people involved in their government to um, advance protections for unborn babies, other vulnerable people. Um, we're, of course, again, we're concerned about abortion. We're also concerned about euthanasia. We're concerned about assisted suicide and, and other forms of, of euthanasia. Um, so it's about getting people involved. And it's not like we have an enormous amount of money. We don't have corporate funding, typically. We don't have government funding, typically, although there's some exceptions to that. But basically, we're just people. And the enormous number of people, and uh, for example, if you look at pregnancy centers, I've heard the term, uh, the number of pregnancy centers far exceeds the number of abortion facilities throughout the country. And the, um, uh, the number I'm hearing is like 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country. These are organizations that help a woman with an unplanned pregnancy or sometimes a planned pregnancy, but that woman needs help. And uh, the, sometimes the families need help if, she, if she's in a family relationship. Um, 3,000, and frankly, Brent, I've heard that for a number of years, so I think it's too low because these I'm seeing in Texas and around the country are just proliferating. They're, they're coming into being all the time. So the number must be much bigger. That doesn't even count, Brent, the church-based organizations that help pregnant women. And this is Catholics, I think, can, can do a lot of bragging. You know, in Texas, we have the saying, it's, it's not bragging if it's true. So, so there's a lot of truth that the Catholic churches are doing an enormous amount, but a lot of non-Catholic churches are doing an enormous amount and have been for a long time. So it's that, what do we do on a daily basis? Um, you know, I've been followed around by international media because they come to Texas and they want to see what what is going on in Texas because they think Texas is, you know, kind of crazy. And actually those stories aren't all that interesting because we're not doing anything radical other than it's pretty normal. It's pretty common sense. It's just getting people to understand what's going on and get involved in their government, getting involved in pro-life organizations, helping them um, with helping the pregnant women, helping to educate people, getting out and voting pro-life. So, you know, there's a lot of things we can talk there, whatever direction you want to go, Brent. Well, I serve on the board of a pregnancy center, and, you know, I don't do much. Let me tell you, it's the staff and the employees that, of course, do all the work. And I think a lot of people have an idea of what pregnancy centers do. Uh, the ones I'm familiar with uh, throughout my, you know, pro-life activities over the years, the ones I've become familiar with, um, they provide 
assistance to women who were pregnant, what they refer to or used to refer to as a crisis pregnancy. They, they, you know, everything from parenting classes to providing diapers to sharing the gospel to providing ultrasounds. Um, some places provide assistance to women with young children up to the ages of two, sometimes three, sometimes four years old. I think people uh, have an idea about how pregnancy centers work. They, they're you know, a very visible part of the pro-life movement for those that are involved. But your organization is more of an advocacy organization. You're based in the state capitol in Texas. Um, how does your work differ? What do you do? I know you don't have a typical day. But what do you do, say, on a weekly basis when the Texas legislature is in session and you're trying to, or even before the legislature comes in in session, what are you doing on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis to try to advance legislation? And how did you get these great bills passed that uh, we've gotten passed in Texas in the last few years? Well, that's a great question, Brent. And, you know, Texas, I'll just say a little bit of a little bit of bragging, but it is true. Texas is one of 15 states that enjoys just tremendous laws that completely protect unborn babies from abortion beginning at conception. So that means the baby conceived, however, the circumstances, even if the baby was conceived because the father was a rapist or even if the baby has a life-limiting or a terminal condition, that baby is protected in Texas law from the tragedy of abortion. Um, At the same time, Texas also appropriates vast sums of money for a highly successful program called the Alternatives to Abortion Program, which funds uh, almost 200 pregnancy centers around the state of Texas. Uh, Not all of them take, uh, you know, apply for that money, but I think there's about 300 pregnancy centers, maternity homes, and adoption agencies. But we lobby for those laws. And what does that mean? That basically means contacting the legislators and their staffers, um, telling them uh, the merits of the bills, um, what bills they want to avoid or oppose. Um, and uh, we, we get involved in that. We, we try and connect the grassroots with their legislator. And, you know, we're talking about just basic people who are, you know, shopping for groceries. They're, they're getting to, we're trying to get to work on time. They're get, trying to get their kids, kids ready for school and off to school and so forth. Um, they don't even know necessarily that they have a state representative or a state senator. They know there's this kind con- thing called Congress and that's in Washington, D.C., but they're not even thinking about their own state capital. All right, we will be coming right back after the break to continue our conversation with Joe Poyman about what goes on behind the scenes in the pro-life movement. Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. That's why Stand Tall Today has experienced professional coaches that will assist you in dialing down that overwhelm. They'll help you get a grasp on where you are and create a plan that enables you to take bite-sized steps of action so you can live an abundant life. Why not take your first step right now? Go to StandTallToday.com and find a coach that is just right for you. Because life is simply too short to stay lost in a sea of overwhelm. 
This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate in plenty of time for you to get to confession before Mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Brent Haynes, in for Adrian Fonseca, here with Rudy Carlos. We have Joe Poyman from Texas Alliance for Life, discussing what goes on behind the scenes in all the pro-life organizations out there, at least in his organization. Joe, before the break, you were talking about advocacy and meeting with state uh, legislators to get uh, pro-life legislation passed. Um, I imagine, and I know just from talking with you sometimes, that it you know it sounds uh, maybe glamorous almost to say that one is a lobbyist or one is up there uh, working with state legislators and uh, maybe meeting with their staff or meeting with the, uh, individual representatives. But a lot a lot of research goes into that, doesn't it? I imagine that you or someone on your staff spends a lot of time actually researching different bills, looking at what's legal, what you think will pass muster in the courts and how best to get legislation drafted so it won't get thrown out. Is that right? Absolutely, Brent. We, we, there are good pro-life bills, and those are the ones that will accomplish a, 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 real, a real goal of saving babies' lives. They also educate the public about the sanctity of life, and they're good laws because they will survive a court challenge, which many times is inevitable. So we do spend a lot of time researching laws. We look to what other states are doing. We look at court precedent. Uh, the court precedent is really good for us now that the Supreme Court has overturned the terrible Roe v. Wade decision in the Dobbs case in, in 2022. Um, we form a coalition of other pro-life groups that are like-minded. And I will say prominent that in, and I want to give some attention to the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops. They have they have a small staff in Austin, which accomplishes a, an enormous amount of things, considering that, that it's not a large staff, but they're very competent, and they provide a lot of um, oomph. They provide a lot of, um, I guess I'll say the word muscle. They, they uh, have a lot of influence because the Catholic Church is really big in Texas, and um, while they do not advocate for or against candidates in elections, they did carry a lot of moral, uh, weight they carry a lot of uh, you know just political weight, but just by being very large and influential. So we do form this coalition. We work together on these laws. Um, there's a process. Way back when, some 35, almost 40 years ago, when I first got started, a, a lobbyist took me aside and said, "Joe, here's what you need to do. You need to fig- learn the process that it takes from a bill to become a law." And there are a bunch of steps that it has to do. Each one of those steps you have to overcome, and you have to figure out that process. So we spent a lot of time researching the process. There's a rule book in the Texas House. Every state has a rule book for its house. There's a rule book for each state's Senate. You have to learn those rules. You wouldn't go on the road unless you knew which side of the road to drive on. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't dare, dare drive, or you shouldn't dare drive if you don't know the laws of the road, or you wouldn't play tennis unless you knew the laws. But sometimes pro-lifers think, hey, I, my cause is just, so we can just go out there and, and try. That cannot be, that's probably not going to be helpful. You have to know the issues. You have to know the people, the legislators. 
who they are, their personalities, what they do for a living, you know, things like that, uh, what they like, what they don't like, so you can influence them. The, uh, a lot of times you're, you're befriending them because they're just people also. And then, um, then you're, um, uh, you know this issue, you're very passionate about it, and um, over the years, our, our states have passed so many good laws that first, one, what we could just do under the Supreme Court, like require that, that the doctor get the consent or notify parents before performing an abortion on a minor child, or cutting off funding for abortion, state funding for abortion, or uh, informed consent laws like requiring that the doctor allow the woman to see the ultrasound image of the baby before performing an abortion. All these things in Texas helped move the ball down the field till we were ready with a law that went into effect once Supreme Court was overturned, that was called the Human Life Protection Act in Texas. And once the Supreme Court did overturn Roe, that law went into effect. But that was, frankly, 35 years in the making. And, and every state is very similar to this. Well, you also mentioned uh, trying to keep people informed, trying to keep activists informed. And you do that also to, to just to be blunt, to put pressure on our elected representatives to get them to pass legislation and of course, other groups are doing what you do in other states, more or less, or you know, in one form or another. One thing I've noticed about your group is your email communications. Uh, in my judgment, because I am, it seems like I'm on every political email list in the country, aside from pro-life. Your organization seems to have about the most sophisticated emails that I have seen. And for our listeners out there, they might wonder, wonder what's so sophisticated about an email. But when I get an email from your from Texas Alliance for Life. It tells me who my state representative is. It tells me who my state senator is. It tells me how to get in contact with them. I also get a um, you know a mailer from you all every month. You all have one action item every month. It's just a simple one-page mailer that c- that comes every month, and you have one action every item. One action item. It might be something as simple as call the governor and thank him for you know, signing signing this particular pro-life bill. Uh, Yes, exactly. You? you know, Brent, it's, it, it's, it's all about just pe- people don't have time to research it. They just don't know about their local governments like we should. So our job is to get that in front of them, how to make that one phone call. And by the way, when these phone calls come into the Capitol from grassroots, from people who have enough information to have a bill number and to know that they need to call Senator XYZ because that's, that, that's, that's the district in which they reside. Um, when I go into someone's office to lobby on a particular bill, at first I'm one of many. But once those calls coming start coming in, I'm a pretty important person. Why? Not because I'm Joe Poyman, maybe because I'm Texas Alliance for Life, but because their constituents know about this bill. And these legislators, their senators, their representatives, the governors, they report back to their own constituents. So getting the constituents, the pro-life Catholics in the pews, to know who their state senator is and contact that person. We do that with email. We do that with texting. You know, all those means. Uh, we use a lot of social media, but that is where the power of the pro-life movement does. We have vast numbers, but getting them to actually contact their government is what's huge. And and uh, um, thank you for that compliment. Uh, we, we take a lot of time and, uh, to try and get those right, um, and, and I think they do really help uh, when they're well done, and, and that's what we strive to do. So you have people on your staff uh, who are researching legislation. You're trying to figure out uh, what legislation is good, what legislation is bad. Uh, you're going out, you're communicating with state legislators. And then on the other side, 
uh, in a completely different area of expertise and a different dealing with a different body of knowledge and a different set of skills, you've got people who are working on the email uh, format, the contacts. You can't. It's th- those emails that identify hundreds or thousands of different voters and which district they're in and who their specific representative is and who their specific senator is. Those emails don't just happen. That's an entirely different area of knowledge, and I'm sure you're probably hiring some outside services to assist with that. But you're covering this full spectrum here is the impression I'm getting. We do, and I I will say there's – there's a couple other aspects is when these laws, and this is not going to involve the individual people except through their financial support, but these laws are frequently attacked in the courts. We have our Human Life Protection Act I just mentioned. It's being attacked in state court, and that, that attack is now up to our Texas Supreme Court. Um, that's a very critical lawsuit. So we have hired our counsel, an attorney, a um, a gentleman from a national attorney uh, on the national scene, and uh, he's very good, and he has researched this, and he's written a a, a brief that will be filed before the Texas Supreme Court, and it's written on going to be filed on behalf of the members of the pro-life members of the legislature, the members of the House and Senate. So that's another aspect, the legal defense, because our pro-life laws, because they're effective, the other side, once they lose in the legislature, then they attack them in the courts. And we see this on the national level as well. That is huge, a big part of what we do. And, you know, how can people get involved? Well, they can do that. They they can give money. Um, they can sign up for their local pro-life groups. Um, they can vote. They can vote, and that is huge. Without the right people in office, we just can't win. And there are some people that are as passionately pro-abortion. I mean, they just support abortion regardless throughout all nine months of pregnancy. They want the government to pay for it. And, and if they get elected, that's what, the, that's what they're going to advocate for. So voting pro-life is huge. So we provide uh, a voter guide to our people. And Brent, can I mention Ohio? Ohio's got this really important vote that's coming up, and it would amend the – it's a vote called Issue 1. If that passes, the Ohio Constitution would be amended in a horrible way to enshrine the right to abortion, and that has got to get out. So all all our friends, our relatives, anyone we know, or if we can give some money, there's a great group, um, Protect Women – uh, Ohio, Protect Women Ohio, and they, they can use our financial support and our prayers. That must be defeated. Otherwise, Ohio has a huge setback. It's a pro-life state, which would have a terrible constitution because of this vote if issue one prevails. And as a side note, uh, some of our listeners may recall or have noticed uh, that in Ohio, the pro-abortion, or as they would say, pro-choice advocates – have actually invoked Catholic religious imagery for their cause. And I suppose you've seen that, Joe. Um, That's absolutely disgusting. Uh, They're trying to confuse people. Make no mistake about it. This is critical. If we can stop Ohio, if we can stop it in Ohio, then we can stop this advance of pro-abortion votes around the country, statewide votes. Um, because there's another other states that are lining up. So this is where the line is. This is kind of like our flank. We have to defend this flank, if I can use a military analogy. And uh, if we win, that will be a huge victory for the entire pro-life movement around the country. So Ohio's big. That vote will be a week from tomorrow, November 7th. We must win in Ohio. And the organization is called protectwomenohio.com. 
Well, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but in terms of the behind the scenes work, I suppose one aspect of the work people are familiar with for your organization and others um, is the fundraising because, of course, we're used to getting uh, requests for money from you all. Um, I know that different organizations have different kinds of uh, fundraising events. Many have a dinner. Uh, my pregnancy center had a dinner earlier this month, just two days before your event. Uh, your organization had your dinner. Uh, you all also do a walk every year, don't you? And We have, yes. Yes, we do. You know, all these organizations have these events. They need to be supported. The pregnancy centers, the community-based groups like Texas Alliance for Life. We have a walkathon in the spring. We have a big dinner in the fall. Um, it's all great stuff. We have monthly donors. If your listeners sign up, as they do for their church, they give weekly. That's, that's marvelous. That has to go on to advance the kingdom. These pro-life groups, of whoever they are, they, they really covet having monthly donors so, because then they can budget on that. They can hire staff. They can accomplish things. So just real quickly before we run out of time, how much time do you and your staff spend preparing and organizing your dinner that comes just once a year? Well, we've got a small staff. I've got about 10 people on my staff, a couple of them are part-time, and for a couple of months, we're spending an enormous amount of time, probably more than half of our, some, uh, a couple of my people are spending more than half getting that event. We just had a very successful one, more than 1,100 people from across the state came to our dinner. Um, not only is it raising money, but we just have a great program, and people be, get um, really um, their pro-life vision their pro-life enthusiasm gets enhanced. They learn a lot. So it's a dual, dual goal. Joe Poyman, thank you. Come back after the break. It'll be game show time. Our family had been going through crisis. Little by little, we just found ourselves drifting completely away. I was afraid to go back. I mean, I cried the first time I received the sacraments again. Cried because I was back and because I had allowed God to become a part of me again. It's united our family. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted uh, in my 20s to a uh, Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. 
We are a young and diverse generation, helping those in need and promoting human rights. We care for the environment. We embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world. Our passion comes from God, who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories. If you sometimes wonder, is there something more? Then come and see at CatholicsComeHome.com. Glory to God in the highest. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and I'm here with my good friend Brent Haynes, who is filling in for Adrian. Uh, you know, Brent, gotta hand it, gotta hand it to you, Brent. Thank you so much for stepping up to the plate. You know, you're a great host, and uh, really enjoyed that conversation with Joe Poyman. You know, he's always got a lot to say and and an interesting perspective on this this pro life movement, right? I mean, we always just think, well. You know, like here's another pro-life organization. Our guests, I'll give you some money, but you never know what they do. You know, what are what are they up to day to day? And uh, it's good. It's good to take account and and, and see what's going on. You know, because there's a lot of good work to be done, especially now. Even though Roe versus Wade is, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of in the history books, but there's still a lot of work to be done to advance the pro-life cause. Well, I thought it. W- it would be good for people to get an idea of what goes on behind the scenes because these pro-life events such as a pro-life dinner, a pro-life march, a pro-life rally, uh, getting volunteers out in front of a, an, abortion, an abortion facility to hand out literature, mm-hmm. these things don't happen just on their own. Uh, these, there are people behind the scenes with hearts for the pro-life movement that are working and doing this. Uh, the majority of them, of course, volunteers, but you know there has to be really somebody doing this full-time because it's a full-time job in terms of uh, – What's happened after Roe v. Wade was overturned, uh, we have lost every single battle in every state where uh, life has been an issue uh, when it's gone to the uh, popular vote. We've won a lot in the legislatures, and as Joe Poyman said, abortion's illegal in about 15 states. Um, But this fight, uh, it's not over because of the Dobbs decision. What it did was it moved from the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. to each of the 50 states. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen in Ohio is important. And the other side's not going to give up. You know, for some reason, many yeah. of them just they're just passionately, passionately in support of of having abortion. And I know that a lot of times as Catholics, we get criticized for focusing so much on this issue. Um, I never imagined when I was younger that, it, you know, it would be an important issue in my life. Um mm-hmm. But uh, fortunately, we have good people out there who are able to work on this full time thanks to the donations and the support that people like uh, you and our listeners provide. That's exactly right, Brent. You know, you know, we we here at the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio, you know, we we never take that for granted because we depend solely on our listeners. You know, we're 100% listener funded. You don't get a big government grant, Rudy? We never get a big government grant. You didn't get any of that COVID money? No, I didn't get any of that at all. So we don't take that for granted. And these public, you know, these, uh, these, uh, you know, these groups, these pro-life groups, they don't take that for granted either because that paycheck is not a guarantee. You know, it's never, it's never a guarantee. It's, it's the people who continue to fight with them that help them do all the things that they do. And speaking of, but behind the scenes, you sent me this uh, interesting article yesterday, 
And uh, I don't I don't actually read this website, but it's it's the Western Journal, and it's a, a really interesting article that you sent. The headline says "State of Disgust." Very strong wording here. I wonder who the writer is. Uh, he obviously feels very <laughs> very strongly on this subject. He says. Population of illegal aliens under Biden is enough to be America's 13th largest state. Now, that should be setting off our alarm bells here because this seems to be a feature of opening up the border and not enforcing the border and not a bug. This is a feature and not a bug of letting so many people in who will then have some sort of political influence in the country in the next coming years is astonishing when you put it in those terms. You know, a lot of being able to communicate with people effectively um, is being able to convey ideas to them in a way that is memorable, in a way that really gets their attention. You know, I'm a lawyer. I go into the courtroom periodically, talking to a judge, talking to a lawyer. I've, I've got to put things in a form verbally that gets their attention. And we've all seen the video of immigrants, or at least those who are paying attention to the news, uh, for the news who bother to report it, have seen the video one after the other of uh, people just literally flooding across the border, just walking across the river, you know, just just coming across. Uh, you might have seen the the uh, immigrant train that ran through Mexico that was just packed, packed the, to, you know, to the gills, and they were coming all the way up to the border of the United States. You see those videos, and, after, you know, it shocks some people, and then after a while, that gets... Uh, you just get used to it like anything else in life. Gets buried in the news. Oh, here's another story. Here's a, here's a couple a, another thousand people went right. through this you weekend. Oh, okay, it. well, okay. So when somebody comes along and does the calculations and says, you know, this would be the 13th largest state in the United States, that's another way of getting people's attention. Yeah, for sure. Let me read a little bit about this article. The author is Jack Gist, and this is from the Western Journal. He says, globalists rely on useful idiots to carry out the dirty work. A gaggle of useful idiots is running the Biden administration. The globalist plan for America, open up the southern border and allow as many Ill illegal aliens to cross the country as you can before somebody or something can stop it. It's not a conspiracy, he says. It only takes 3.5% of the population actively participating in the protest to ensure serious political change. Thus, this is according to the BBC. That's a mainstream academic theory. Now, what if the 3.5% instead of actively participating in protests by their very presence impacted the economy and the culture of a country to ensure political change? Is it a conspiracy theory? You tell me. He says, uh, continuing, as of today, the total number of illegal aliens let into the country since President Joe Biden took office is larger than the population's of 38 U.S. states, according to the National Pulse. That's 38 states, larger than, than 38. That's, that's crazy. Well, you know, and this writer is very um, colorful and flamboyant. <laughs> Bombastic. Um, inflammatory, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but the numbers are extraordinary. And the author goes on to talk about how Senator Joe Kennedy from Louisiana asked various government officials in the Biden administration how many immigrants had come to the United States illegally or came here asking for asylum. None of them would give him an answer. Mm. It, it's, you know, it's just astonishing. It's not that these people are ignorant. I mean, you know, let's be realistic. You know, they might stick their head in the sand to a certain extent or they don't want to play up certain aspects of their policies that they know aren't popular. 
uh, with a large segment of, of the American people. But to go before Congress and say, oh, I have no idea how many immigrants are coming into the country. Well, first of all, it's your job to know. Right. Um, but the information is out there and it's astonishing. So uh, they have a they reprint a graph that was you know created by another organization that, that ranks all the states and uh you know, California's the top. Texas is number two in population. Then Florida and New York. Then you get down to Pennsylvania and you get into some of the Midwest and some of the southern states. But number 12 is Virginia. And then uh, illegal illegal immigrants would be number 13. And after that would be the state of Washington, Arizona, the, the entire rest of the United States. Uh, it's just an astonishing number. And the other point in this article is that you can really affect a massive change in your society with a small number of people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you uh, remember? You remember the movie "For Greater Glory" about the you know the Cristero Revolution yeah. in Mexico? And there's that scene where the you know the American ambassador, the new American ambassador, Envoy, goes down there and he's speaking to you know the president of Mexico who's persecuting Christians, uh, persecuting you know the Catholic Church, and. Uh, the uh, president of Mexico takes exception to what the envoy says. You know, says, in my experience, a small number of people, you know, can bring down a government. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody's suggesting that uh, anybody's trying to bring down the government here. But it's certainly fair to ask, is there a political motive to have people come into the United States, um, get, you know, certain benefits and start voting for a certain political party? It's not as if, as if this hasn't happened before. Have you ever heard of Tammany Hall? No. What's that? And I was going to say, you Tammany know, Tammany Hall. Given you know, given the state of the educational system in the United States of America, Look, a lot I'll of people the, forget about Tammany. I'll be the Hall. first person to admit to you, Brent. I didn't. I was not an academic in school. I was a terrible, terrible academic, and I have a poor memory. So. When immigrants came to New York City in year, you know, decades past, they would, you know, they'd be met at the wharves. Mm-hmm. by someone from the local political machine, and Tammany Hall was the Democrat machine. And they were there to help. They were there to help Rudy. Interesting. And they'd help him find a place to live. They'd help him maybe get a job. And they'd help him learn how to vote. Fascinating. Uh, so, um, It's like history repeats itself. It, look, maybe not verbatim, but it, pretty close. It, it, is, it is just living in a fantasy to act as if or even to think that the people who are running this this policy that are just running what is a completely open border are doing so out of purely humanitarian reasons. Mm-hmm. There is a political motive uh, at, you know, at best mixed in there. You know, they're looking for future voters. Um, and at worst, it's just a callous, cold political manipulation. Now, there are also business interests, you know. Remember, remember what Nancy Pelosi said. Who's you know who's going to pick our fruit, <laughs> or who's going to pick our vegetables? Who's going to work th- at these uh, at these fast food restaurants, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Just, that's the way um, that they look at these people. You know, there there and there's you know the Chamber of Commerce interest in those people, and and the more libertarian element who who want to let people in for business purposes. Um, you know, from the Catholic perspective, Rudy, um, you know, the Catechism explains that, of course, you know, we want reasonable and, and lawful immigration. Um, but it also explains that people are entitled to their own culture, and that can include not allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by, by waves of immigrants who are, who are going to come in and overwhelm it. But the other thing you're allowed to consider in terms of a moral 
immigration policy is what is the effect on the host country? Mm. And when we let in literally, you know, millions upon millions of immigrants, uh, especially uh, immigrants with lower skill levels and lower education levels, um, what that does is that undercuts the ability of people in the United States to get jobs. Yeah, that's absolutely and, you know, right. I, I know, uh, you know, I've been fortunate. You know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I've gone to college. I've gone to law school, obviously. Um, you, you're an educated man. Um, but, you know, I have family who, you know, they went through high school and, and that's that. Um, I have other I, – I have friends and family who, you know – who, who don't go to college, they don't get advanced degrees, uh, they need to be able to make a living. You know, m- the ma- majority of Americans uh, don't have a college degree, Rudy. Mm-hmm. And when you bring in uh, lower-skilled labor, uh, that's going to undercut Americans. You will always hear this phrase, uh, will immigrants do jobs that Americans won't do? That is absolutely false. That is a fraud. Immigrants will do jobs at a lower price than Americans will do them. So what it does is it undercuts the labor market. Then on the other end of the spectrum, talk to people in the IT professions and talk to them um, about the effect of immigrants who come in with computer skills and software knowledge and talk to them about the effect that has on Americans trying to get jobs in the computer industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know somebody who um, – who lives not far from here, actually, mm-hmm. um, who is, has been in that situation and they uh, have gone to interviews and they essentially concluded they were being interviewed to sort of meet a quota and then the job was given to an immigrant. Unbelievable. Because they would take less pay. Unreal. So 13th largest state in the United States. Uh, yeah, there's this is uh, this is just a completely multifaceted issue here. You know, last week I reported that there there's no real record, an official record. People can't really keep track of how many of these unaccompanied children, uh, you know, remain in in the country. They don't keep contact with them, so they never know if they're being funneled into some sort of labor pipeline or worse, some sort of sexual ring or something like that. There's that aspect. There's this aspect here that we're talking about, you know, the the political influence of so many immigrants. Then we're talking also about uh, the Americans that are affected by this this uh, open border situation. It's a multifaceted situation that we have to look at. Now, we have the opportunity now to actually sit down and think about this and put our foot down, because if we wait too long, then it's going to be over. You're absolutely right about the children and human trafficking. You know, The Sound of Freedom was a big hit movie this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked on cases uh, sort of uh, indirectly connected with that kind of thing. Um, I've seen some of that myself. It's a very difficult issue for law enforcement to deal with. Uh, there's no doubt that's happening. I saw a number recently that 50,000 Chinese nationals have come across the border. So... Uh, how many people have come across the border from the Middle East with the tensions between Israel and Gaza and the, Pal- and the Palestinians. We now have protests across the country and across the world. You know, is there an increased risk for terrorism? Look at all the people on the terror watch list that have been caught. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that the church needs to keep up with the times? G.K. Chesterton says that all this talk about keeping up with the times 
has been uttered hundreds of times before. To be up to date, he says, is a paltry ambition, except in an almanac. The church certainly does not need to imitate the secular world. In fact, what does the word secular mean? It does not mean worldly. It does not even mean irreligious. To be secular simply means to be of the age. That is, of the age which is passing. And in the case of anyone trying to keep up with the times, the age that is already past. So what the word secular really means is dated. The church's truth is never out of date because it is eternal. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Over the years, people were treated as less than human because they were a different race, a different faith, or vulnerable. But over time, we must learn that we are all God's children, created in His image, that all human creation has an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a right to love and be loved. So let's cherish the sanctity of life, because we know how it feels when others treat us as less than human. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That is the number to call to participate in our game show this week. And if you're just listening right now, you've always been on the fence you don't know if you should call in. You got stage fright. You don't want to be on national radio. I'm just going to encourage you right now. Look, I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Brent Haynes. And Brent Haynes is going to give you the answer. All you have to do is answer whether it's true or false. So you got a 50-50 chance of getting this question correct. And all you have to do is pick up the phone and call one 757 9424 That's the number, and uh, our producer is waiting to uh, get your call. He'll just take your name, and uh, then we'll just put you on air. And I'm going to ask Brent a series of questions, three questions. He's going to give us the right or wrong answer, and all you have to do is decide whether he's telling the truth or whether he's telling a lie. Now, every single answer that you get correct, goes into the coffee cup of divine providence. This is is a rare relic that we found here. It's a coffee cup of divine providence. And at the end of the week, all of those entries get shuffled up, and whoever gets picked wins the prize. Now, this week, you are going to be playing for the, the prize, which is a rosary of charity and two pocket prayer books. This is all thanks to our sponsor this week, which is Oremos Studio. Oremus Studio helps increase devotion in the family and love for our church, our Catholic faith, through the aid of traditional Catholic devotional products for your home. I love to see these things. It's fantastic to see uh, all of these different Catholic companies coming up with stuff to help you live out your faith at home. They design all of their products. They create prototypes and oversee manufacturing for the ones that they don't fabricate themselves, like the prayer books. And their products are designed with fine materials to withstand daily use as well as being beautiful and inspire devotion. Not to mention, they'll become heirlooms. Now, currently, they offer handmade rosaries, rosary kits, English Latin prayer books, and homemade 100% beeswax candles for the three days of darkness. And will soon offer Spanish and Latin prayer books 
as well as DIY home altar niche kits, which the family can build together and the kids can make their own. Now, their website is oremostudio.com, so that's O-R-E-M-U-S dot studio, and that's their, uh, it's actually, it's not a dot com, it's oremos.studio. If you want to visit their website and check out their wares, I'm going to give out that website, oremos.studio. So just type that into the uh, the browser there, it'll take you to their website. Now, it looks like we do have a caller on the line, Amanda from San Antonio, can you hear us? Hey, Amanda, good morning. Where are you off to today? Um, I am going to work right now. I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. And you teach um, astrophysics. You teach uh, <laughs> rocket surgery. You ta- uh, you te- Pre-K. Pre-kinder. So a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. <laughs> Praise be to God. And where do you go to, uh, where do you go to church in San Antonio? Um, I go to Mary, Mother of the Church. Mary, Mother of the Church. Praise be to God. Well, we're happy to have you here today. And uh, do you know how to play the game? I do. You do. Okay. So typically it's me who gets the questions, you know, and I have to answer them. And I'm sometimes tricky. Some would say tricky. I, I've, I have my lawyer here. So my lawyer is going to hear about this. Uh, anytime anybody says that I'm tricky, it's defamation. So I don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> but Brent, being a lawyer, I think I'm about to defame him a little bit. Being a lawyer, you're probably tricky yourself, right, Brent? Well, it's not defamatory if it's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to ask Brent a series of three questions. And all you have to do is uh, guess whether he's telling the truth or he's telling a lie. Are you ready to play? Yes, I am. All right, Brent. The first question on the board is who is just who? Who is this person? Who is the patron saint? Some would say the patroness of housewives. That one's easy, Rudy. Is it? Remember when Jesus went, went to the house, and okay, I'm being Ignatius, Martha. Remember the, the you know the story about Martha, okay. and she was anxious about many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Saint Martha is the patron saint of housewives. Saint Martha, yeah, she was. You know, she was busy getting the whole house ready, and her sister just sitting there. Just, sister's just sitting what there. What are you doing? Yeah, come on. I mean, there's the work to be done. We got to get the charcuterie board. When's the next time that we're going to have God in our house? That's right. You got you you to sympathize with Martha. Yeah. Well, Amanda, uh, Brent seems to think it is uh, St. Martha. What say you? Um, I'm going to agree. You're going to agree. Oh, and it sounds like you have a little one in the car, and she agrees I as do. well. Okay. Brent says it's St. Martha. You are agreeing to it. Uh, oh. Uh, Brent was being oh. a lawyer. Brent, <laughs> have you no heart, Brent? I'm a lawyer, Rudy. Wow. <laughs> Can't you just put that away for just a minute, Brent? I mean, the correct answer is St. Anne. St. Anne, the mother mm. of Mary. She is the patroness of housewives. Thanks be to God. Brent was being a little bit tricky here, but no worries. There's still two opportunities for you to go into the coffee cup of divine providence. Now I'm going to ask right. Brent the second question here. Brent... The question on the board is, are genuflections made before living persons? You know, you might think that they aren't, but pause a moment and think about all the times you see video of people meeting the Pope, and then what do they do? 
They try and kiss his ring. Kiss he his swats ring. them away. They genuflect. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the Pope obviously is a living person. Genuflect to the Pope. And also to cardinals, by the way. Really? The birds? Uh, well, to the... To the cardinals. Oh, sorry. You were talking about living persons, not not animals. My bad. Sorry. The cardinals, the the princes of the church, you mean. Got it. Okay. All right, Amanda. Are genuflections made before living persons? That's the question. Brent Haynes seems to think that it's yes, yes to the Pope and yes to the cardinals. Uh, What say you, Amanda? Is he telling the truth or is he telling a lie? I'm going to go with um, he's telling a lie. Really? Are you sure about that? Um, no. <laughs> I heard true. I heard true. Let's check. Is it right? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Your little one there is a theologian. She knows all of the catechism. She knows all about the church. And she says yes. And the answer is correct. We do genuflect to the Pope and to the cardinals. It's a, a sign of respect and reverence to the office, especially to the office, the Petrine office, which is the papacy. So praise be to God, you're in for one and uh, perhaps two with this next question. Brent, I'm going to ask you this last question here. Now be truthful, Brent. Be truthful. Who was the first pope to fly in an airplane? In 1903, that was the first airplane flight, the Wright brothers. So well, who's remember, the, the first you've, pope? you've seen the videos, haven't you? Remember, popes used to just travel around in that chair that they'd lift up on the, the rails. Remember that? How you've would they get videos? across the pond, you know, like from England all the well, way? They actually didn't didn't travel internationally that much, huh. you know, until from our perspective, you know, somewhat recently from a historical perspective. So what did they um, do with their time? But the pope, uh, the first pope to fly was Pope Paul VI. Pope Paul VI. Wow. So in the 60s, you're saying the 60s is when he first flew. That's incredible. 2,000 years of papal history here. Popes popes just, unless they were being chased about by warlords or or would-be emperors to Avignon, uh, popes just really didn't travel that much. All right, Amanda. Hmm. Uh, Interesting question here. Who was the first pope to fly in an airplane? Brent seems to say... It's Pope Paul VI in the 1960s. So what say you, Amanda? Is he telling the truth or is he telling a lie? Um, I think that's true. She thinks that's true. Let's check it. Sources say... Little drummer boy. All right. You got it. That was... It's hard to believe, you know, that it was Pope Paul VI in the 60s. But, Brent, you're right. You might be onto something. Uh, maybe the, the, the popes before were just too busy taking care of business in the uh, Vatican City, but now they're able to do a little bit more international travel. Uh, Pope Paul VI, uh, at least according to the Internet, we know it's never wrong, Hmm. uh, was the first to leave Europe. No pope had ever left Europe before the Second Vatican Council. That is fascinating. And then, of course, you and I remember uh, Pope John Paul II, who Hmm. I think he visited almost every country on the face (laughs) of the earth. God bless him. He liked liked airplanes. He loved the people, and he loved the people of God. And, I, you know, you could see that when you go back and look at the videos of him going out and smiling and meeting people. Um, and it was to his credit that he did that. He, he, he went out and, and spread, spread the gospel message. But, well, yeah, before that, popes didn't travel a whole lot. Well, to be fair, you know, I probably, if I was the pope, I'd be a little nervous trying to get onto that little tiny, you know, Wright Brothers airplane. I probably would have waited a couple hundred years to see if this was a viable source of travel, right? I mean, 
You never know. Well, to you put this in perspective, know. the Pope started flying around, roughly around the same time that we put a man on the moon. So, <laughs> if we're to believe that. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, Amanda, thank you so much uh, for playing with us this morning. Uh, we're going to put you on hold and we're going to get your information uh, just uh, just in case we draw you on Friday. But you're in for two, two out of three in the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. And it may be God's Divine Providence that you win on Friday. Uh, in any case, may God bless all of your holy efforts today, Amanda, and uh, as well as your little one, wherever you're off to. Thank you. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Catholic Drive Time. I hope you uh, enjoyed today's show with uh, Brent Haynes filling in for Adrian Fonseca. Adrian should be back tomorrow, so we'll have a regular show just as uh, as we typically do. And, uh, you know, it'll be be nice to have him back over here. But in, in any case... Brent, I just want to thank you so much for stepping in and always just volunteering your time, your your talent to come onto the radio and, and step in for us when we uh, take a day off. Well, thank you for having me, Rudy, and God bless our audience out there, and I appreciate the audience that makes Catholic Radio possible. Amen. If you want to join us for our after show where we let our hair down, loosen up our ties a little bit, maybe not today because it's kind of cold in Houston. We're probably going to keep all that up. Uh, you can join us. By going to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, you're going to see on that site all of the different platforms that we stream to. Make sure to join us, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, all of your favorite uh, social media platforms. Join us there. Leave a comment. Let us know what you did this weekend. Comment with us. Interact with us live. We'll see you then. And if not, God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. and in love.
You formed man in your own image and entrusted the whole world to his care, so that in serving you alone, the Creator, he might have dominion over all creatures. And when through disobedience he had lost your friendship, you did not abandon him to the domain of death, for you came in mercy to the aid of all, so that those who seek might find you. Time and again you offered them covenants, and through the prophets taught them to look forward to salvation. And you so loved the world, Father most holy, that in the fullness of time you sent your only begotten Son to be our Savior. Made incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he shared our human nature in all things but sin. To the poor he proclaimed the good news of salvation, to prisoners freedom, and to the sorrowful of heart joy. To accomplish your plan, he gave himself up to death, and rising from the dead, he destroyed death and restored life. And that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us, he sent the Holy Spirit from you, Father, as the first fruits for those who believe, so that bringing to perfection his work in the world, he might sanctify creation to the full. <clears throat> Therefore, O Lord, we pray, may this same Holy Spirit graciously sanctify these offerings, that they may become the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ for the celebration of this great mystery which he himself left us as an eternal covenant. For when the hour had come for him to be glorified by you, Father most holy, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And while they were at supper, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, Taking the chalice filled with the fruit of the vine, he gave thanks and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. Therefore, O Lord, as we now celebrate the memorial of our redemption, we remember Christ's death and his descent to the realm of the dead. We proclaim his resurrection and his ascension to your right hand. And as we await his coming in glory, we offer you his body and blood, the sacrifice acceptable to you, which brings salvation to the whole world. Look, O Lord, upon the sacrifice which you yourself have provided for your church. 
and grant in your loving kindness to all who partake of this one bread and one chalice that gathered into one body by the Holy Spirit, they may truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. Therefore, Lord, remember now all for whom we offer this sacrifice, especially your servant Francis, our Pope, and Stephen, our Bishop, and the whole order of bishops, all the clergy, those who take part in this offering, those gathered here before you, your entire people, and all who seek you with a sincere heart. Remember also those who have died in the peace of your Christ and all the dead, whose faith you alone have known. To all of us, your children, grant, O merciful Father, that we may enter into a heavenly inheritance with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, and with your apostles and saints in your kingdom. There, with the whole of creation, freed from the corruption of sin and death, may we glorify you through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your
Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God. For those who cannot now receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, we offer the following prayer. My good Lord, my dear Jesus, I am sorry for having wounded thy loving heart by my sins, because thou art infinitely good and sin displeases thee. Like the beloved disciple, let me rest upon thy heart, and let me grieve together with thee for the outrages that are committed against thee in this sacrament of thy love. I give thee my heart and my love, if my poor love can comfort thee. I love thee above all things, and I desire to possess thee within my soul. Since I am unable now to receive thee sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart, and nourish my soul unto life everlasting. Let my soul, O Lord, feel thy sweetness. Let me taste how sweet thou art, O Lord, that being a Lord by thy love, I may never sin by running after worldly pleasures. Thou art the God of my heart, and the God that is my portion for ever. O thou Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, take away from me whatever may hurt me and displease thee. Give me thy love and thy grace. May the sweet flame of thy love consume my soul, that I may die to the world for the love of thee, as thou hast died upon the cross for the love of me. Amen.
Let us pray. May your sacraments, O Lord, we pray, perfect in us what lies within them, that what we now celebrate in signs we may one day possess in truth. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks. of the Lord declared unto Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And the Word was made flesh. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Pray for us, Holy Mother of God. Let us pray. Pour forth the UCC, O Lord, and grace into our hearts, that we as the holy incarnation of Christ the Son, may we know the message of the angel. May I 
Angelica answering the call. We have another call. Hello? Hello, Mother. Hey, where are you from? I'm from Rhode Island. And what is your question? We just buried another young brother, 59 years old, another sudden death. Hmm. It breaks our heart because we were a family of 12. Now we're down to six. All sudden deaths. Now my sister just called me, dear Mother. She has a husband in a nursing home who's 80 years old with Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. She was really crying tonight because he's failing so fast. And you know, sometimes it makes her wonder why she lost her brother so full of life and her husband who was 80. Mother, I told her to turn your program on because you've always lifted my spirits. I told her to listen to you because we don't know why. Only God knows why. Well, I think it's natural for people when you have someone young or middle-aged died and you see somebody, you say, well, they're, they're old. But see, that's, we're thinking the thoughts of man. Okay? We would give the Lord great honor and glory if we could say, Lord, I don't know why. I don't understand, but I trust you. Oh, he's so happy when you say that. You can trust the Lord. Whenever He calls, whatever time He calls, whoever He calls, you can trust. If you like what you hear, Mother dishes out more teaching, advice, laughter, and plenty of prayers every Sunday at 2 and 8 p.m. Eastern on Mother Angelica Answering the Call, only on EWTN Radio. is a Did You Know moment with Sandra McDevitt. Did you know why Catholics should not use the phrase hocus pocus? Before the Protestant revolt, all Christians believed in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. The Protestant reformers changed this belief to the Eucharist being just a symbol. They mocked the Latin words of the priest at Mass, hoc es corpus meum, this is my body. In 1684, the Archbishop of Canterbury put out an anti-Catholic tract admitting the phrase hocus pocus was a mockery of the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. Magicians picked up the phrase hocus pocus to mean sleight of hand or trickery. It is no coincidence the phrase hocus pocus was not heard before the Protestant revolt. So now you know why Catholics should not say hocus pocus. I'm Sandra McDevitt for EWTN Radio. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Every couple makes decisions differently. Sometimes the person with the stronger personality makes the decision, or the person who cares the most makes the decision, or the person who feels they have the right to make the decision makes the decision. There is a problem with this. In all of these situations, one spouse can sit on the sidelines, wash their hands of the results, or feel free to second guess and criticize the other. These are not examples of life-giving decision-making. Joint decision means just that, deciding jointly after discussion, prayer, or simple agreement. 
But the most important part is that you agree as a couple to share the responsibility for that decision because mutual decision means mutual responsibility. When you both agree to bear the responsibility for the decision, both of you assume the risk. That is the type of unity that Christ challenges married couples to strive for. To listen to our podcast on parenting as a team, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. I think if you pray and you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand, thy will be done. That's a prayer of faith. If something wonderful happens and I say, thank you, Lord, that's a prayer of thanksgiving. If you're distressed and you say, Lord, help me, I can't do anything about this, that's a prayer of hope. And you say, Lord, I can't take one more thing. That's a prayer of desperation. If you're talking to him about it, that's prayer. EWTN, communicating the faith. I am a very happy, grateful revert to the faith. About 12 years ago, I was surfing the channels and I found EWTN. I didn't even know it existed and I heard mother and remembered that years ago, I had told a Catholic nun at a church in Boston that I was visiting that I missed the faith and she said, you will come back. And when I was listening to Mother Angelica, I remembered that. Keep Christ and Christmas this year with holy reminders for those on your gift list. From seasonal ornaments and items for your home to a wide selection of gift-giving ideas, let EWTN Religious Catalog inspire your Christmas shopping. Log on to our website or call toll-free at 1-800-854-6316. Buy Catholic. Shop today at EWTNRC.com. This is the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. is a 